You are listening to the Purpose Church High School Ministry Podcast. Whether this is your first episode or you've heard them all, God has something to say to you. Our vision is to see every student everywhere following Jesus, and we hope this message helps you take your next step in your faith. To learn more about our high school ministry, visit our website, purposechurch.com HSM, and check us out on Instagram at purposehsm. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Christmas story. Last week we saw how the Christmas story, the story of Jesus' birth, is a messy story. And we saw so clearly that God uses messy stories to tell his greatest story. And that if that's true for Jesus, it's also true for you and I, that God will use the messy parts of our lives if we will allow him to bring meaning and to tell his story from it. And I told you this last week, and I'll repeat it again, the story only gets messier. That as we dive in, it gets messier. But before we jump into that, I want to say, in January, we're going to be starting this brand new series called More Than Sex. And I am so excited for us to have a two-month-long conversation on relationships, on family, on singleness, on dating, we're going to talk about marriage and sex. We're, we're going to talk about LGBTQ+. We're going to have two different nights where we're going to talk about what does the Bible say, and then we're going to talk about, we're actually going to have a few people up here sharing their personal stories. It is going to be a powerful series, and I don't want any of you to miss it. As we kick off tonight, though, as we talk about the Christmas story part two, I want to share with you one of my favorite photos. This is a photo of Sarah and I on our wedding day. Now, I don't know if very many of you have seen this photo, but this was on our wedding day 12 years ago. And I just want to answer a question that every single one of you are asking right now, and it's this. Was he 12 when they got married? No, no. We were 14, and it was great. It was great. We got married. That was 12 years ago, but I want to tell you a story that almost stopped that from ever happening. Before Sarah and I were dating, when we were just friends, and I was crazy about her, and I was hoping so bad one day we'd get married, we were talking on the phone, and and she invited me. She went to uh, Pepperdine in Malibu, and I was in community college, and And we were building this friendship, and she said, hey, why don't you come up to Pepperdine, and we'll play tennis together, we'll go out to dinner, and I want to introduce you to my very best friend in the world, Katrina, and her boyfriend, Blake. And I thought, this is amazing. Like, I've never felt this way about a person before, and the fact that she wants to introduce me to her best friends, that means we're going to get married next month. Like, that's just, that's what happens. And so I'm thinking, this is going to be great. And, and as, we're, as I'm driving out there, we're on the phone and we're talking. And, and she said, and Eric, there's some really exciting news. It was a Monday night. She said, on Saturday, in a few days, Blake is going to propose to Katrina. Blake's going to ask Katrina to be his wife. And I'm putting on this big surprise engagement party. And Blake said that you could come. And I thought, this is amazing. This is the most exclusive party with this girl I want to marry. I'm invited. This is amazing. I've never even met this couple. And so I'm getting so excited. Well, we play tennis, and and we head to dinner. And right as we're heading to dinner, it, it dawns on me, I can't go to this party on Saturday. I have something going on. 
And I was so devastated about this. So I said to Sarah, Sarah, can I thank Blake for inviting me? Because this is a really big deal. I want to make a good impression on him. She's like, yeah, yeah, totally. So we go to dinner, and I'm sitting right here, and Sarah's sitting right here, and Blake is in front of me, and Katrina's right there. And, and the first 15 minutes of the dinner is great. I mean, I feel like I'm remembering my funniest jokes, my best stories. Like, like I feel like I'm doing a really great job. And then all of a sudden, I have that moment of awkwardness where all of a sudden it gets real quiet and my hands get real sweaty and, and I start to get real nervous. Any of you hate awkward tension, like awkward silence? I just, I hate it. And so I started to worry, what was I gonna say next? And all of a sudden I looked at Blake. This is on Monday night. The proposal is happening on Saturday. I look at Blake and I say, Blake, thank you for inviting me to the party on Saturday. And there's and everybody's eyes are real big. And all of a sudden, I start to feel really insecure and worried. And, and I go, um, Blake, I can't go to the party on Saturday. I, I have something going on. I can't be there. Because I'm just, I'm digging myself in a ditch deeper and deeper. And they're still looking at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, I can't be crazy. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm just telling you I can't come to a party. And then all of a sudden, I look at Blake and I say, Blake, I can't come to your engagement party on Saturday. And you guys, I don't know what, I don't know what, but the Lord, like, I feel like he carried me to this happy place where I just didn't understand that I just ruined this girl's engagement surprise. I just ruined it. The rest of the dinner, the rest of the dinner goes on. And I'm unaware that I've done, like, like the worst thing. You know, like, don't worship Satan and don't ruin engagement parties. Like, those are just big rules for life. So, but I didn't have a lot of dating experience. So I'm walking out of the restaurant. Blake and Katrina have left, and I throw my arms around Sarah because she seemed a little distant, okay? She seemed a little on edge. Like, she was frustrated about something. And I was like, what is wrong with her? You know, like, that's what I was thinking. So I throw my arm around her, and many of you know Sarah. I mean, she's the sweetest, kindest, most angelic person in the world. Even after being married 12 years, I would still describe her that way. She is awesome in every single way. I throw my arm around her, and I go, Sarah, are you okay? And kind, wonderful, sweet, gentle, amazing Sarah goes like this. And she, like, lunges away from me. Now, I don't have very much girl experience, so I'm like, maybe this is what women are like. I don't know. So I kind of like, you know, and she goes like this. She goes, didn't you know that they weren't engaged yet? And that was the moment I started praying. I said, Jesus, if you are taking requests on when to come back, now's a great time. This is the best time I can think of. We jump in the car and talk about awkwardness. It all of a sudden hits me what I have just done. I'm driving Sarah up to drop her off. And, and I don't know if it's the optimist in me or like trying to salvage this relationship. Because I'm like, God gave me one chance to get married and I just ruined it. Like it's done. So I'm driving and, and I look at Sarah and I go, Sarah, maybe someday we'll laugh about this. That's <laughs> what I said, which is not a compassionate thing to say. And she's like, yeah, I don't know, you know, I don't know. I drop her off and I'm driving home. And back then we just had an iPod, didn't even have an iPhone, just had an iPod. My iPod is dead, battery's dead. I'm driving home in silence. And no joke, some of that drive, I cried. Like, I literally cried. I was like, I'm never gonna see her again. She's gonna post all kinds of mean things about me. Like, this is bad. Girls are weird. That's fair enough. I can, I, I, yeah, sure. 
the other half of the drive, I drove home laughing because I thought, I'm going to put this in a book someday and make lots of money. Like, this is crazy. Three days go by. I mean, it was, it was like, like Jesus' death and resurrection. Three days went by. It was dark, like no communication. I mean, it was just, I thought the relationship was dead, right? She reaches out to me. I apologize. I remember the first thing I said, and, you know, we're a Christian couple. I, first thing I said, this, I was like, Sarah, I'm just so glad you called me. If you need to cuss at me, like, that's fine. Like, just yell at me. Just stay on the phone, whatever. And she's like, no, I'm not going to do that. And we just talked it out. I tell you that story because life is messy. We are messy. You are messy. You've done things that you regret. You've been a part of things that you go, oh, I wish I wasn't a part of that. Life is messy. We are all a mess. And the first Christmas was no exception. Last week, we looked at Matthew's historical account of the birth of Jesus. Tonight, we're looking at Luke's. And what's awesome is these are not two different stories. These are the same story told from different angles. It's like your favorite movie. Your favorite movie is not just one camera angle for the entire movie. It's a bunch of different angles telling the same story. That's what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are. Is they're different angles telling the same story. So tonight we're going to look at Luke's version. We're going to look at Luke's angle of the Christmas story. And with each section, we are going to see that there is a mess, a very clear mess, but there is also God's meaning in it. And so let's jump in together. Our first big idea for tonight is an awkward trip. We're talking about an awkward, let's go to the next one. We're talking about an awkward trip. Here's the mess of this section. The king of kings was born in the poorest circumstances. Jesus, the king of the world, the creator of the universe, the king was born in the poorest of circumstances. Here's the meaning. Jesus' birthplace was lowly by human standards and miraculous by historical standards. Let's read together in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Last week, we talked about how Mary and Joseph were in the betrothal stage. They were almost married. They weren't having sex and they weren't living together. But other than that, they were legally seen as husband and wife, and it would have required a divorce to separate them. The story continues. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Get this, Mary is pregnant. And what I know, I mean, I've, I've seen it with my, my wife's been pregnant four times. I've been around other women that are pregnant. When you're towards the end of your pregnancy, the last thing you wanna do is run a marathon, okay? It's the last thing you wanna do. You don't want to be up and about running around. And yet it is towards the end of her pregnancy that Mary walks 85 miles from Nazareth 
to Bethlehem. This is the most inconvenient thing. All of her family is within close distance to her, and here she is walking 85 miles. And make no mistake about it, Joseph was not going to Bethlehem because there's an Old Testament prophecy that must be fulfilled that will show that Jesus was actually the Messiah. Joseph is going to Bethlehem because he's got to pay his taxes. Because if he doesn't pay up, the Roman Empire is going to come after him. And what's interesting about the story is technically only Joseph was required to go and register. It actually wasn't necessary that Mary went with him. And yet I think about the story. <clears throat> what if like, what if Joseph had been like, hey, Mary, like, I know you're pregnant. I know that guy, that kid Jesus, he's coming soon. Um, you know, I, I got to take care of some business in Bethlehem. Uh, I'm going to be gone for a while. But, uh, you know, you're going to do great, babe. Like, you're going to do great. I know I'll miss the birth, but, but you're going to do great. Send me a pic. Let me know. Send me a text. Let me know how it goes. I'll be back in a while. Like, how messed up would that have been? You see, I think Joseph, Joseph brought Mary along for two reasons. Number one, to protect her. You see, if she had remained at home, she would have been vulnerable as an unmarried woman, having not been fully married yet, and as a, a woman without her partner, without her husband there, she would have been vulnerable. The second reason is I think Joseph didn't want to miss the birth of Jesus. And so together they travel all this way. And what's crazy is that the birth of Jesus illustrates that God will use historical events to miraculously accomplish his purposes. That God will use the events going on in your life, the situation and moment that you find yourself in to accomplish his great purposes. Students, I want to tell you something. I didn't even plan this for. We just got to go here. I feel like the Holy Spirit's leading in this direction for a minute here. You will, for the rest of your life, talk about what this pandemic season was like. Your kids, your grandkids, your future friends, your future uh, spouse, you guys will be talking about what it was like to be the generation of high school students that experienced the pandemic. Can I ask you a question? How do you want that story to go? What do you want that story to sound like to your kids? And some of you are going, well, it's too late. We've already been in this for over 18 months now. No, no, it's not too late. You could still redeem this time. If this season for you was all about politics, you've missed it. If this season was all about justifying your sin because everyone else is experiencing so much pain and you are, and the only thing that helped you feel better was to start drinking or smoking or sleeping around or dis disconnecting from your relationship with God, then you've missed it. And for the rest of your life, people will ask you, what was that like? What if? that could become your greatest testimony? What if that could become your moment to tell people that was incredibly hard and I only got through it because of my relationship with Jesus? What if God might wanna use your experience of the global pandemic and all that has happened 
to point people not to a politician, not to a policy, but to the king of kings. Students, there is still time. In Micah chapter five, verse two, there's a prophecy, which I've told you a prophecy is a promise. It's a promise that God will fulfill at a later time. In Micah 5.2, there's a prophecy, a promise written 700 years before Jesus showed up on the scene. It says this, but you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. You see, Jesus Jesus was born in Bethlehem. God used the historical events of this census and taxation by the Roman Empire to get married to Bethlehem to fulfill a promise, a prophecy that was stated 700 years before. Could it be possible that God would want to move through whatever difficult circumstance you're going through right now to bring glory to him and to point other people to him? You see, students, it's time for us to stop being lazy with our faith. It's time for us to stop just kind of doing what the rest of the world and our culture is doing. Use this time, this really difficult season, to pursue God. Because he works through historical events in miraculous ways. Now in the text in verse 7 it says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for him. There's lots of debates about where exactly was Jesus born. Many of you probably have um, nativity scenes where it looks like Jesus was born in this like glorious like magnolia farm, you know, this like really beautiful like farm experience. Let me tell you what Jesus' birth was most likely like Jesus was probably born in a small poor Palestinian single room home the text says that there was no guest room when I went to Israel about six years ago I had the privilege of walking inside of an ancient first century home and this is what they look like and if you notice right here in this room there's a few windows for sunlight to get through. If we go to the next picture, more wealthier homes had a guest room. This is where the entire family would live. How wild. Some of you feel like, man, I gotta share a room with my sibling. Like, that sucks. Back in those days, everybody shared a room. All 10 of you were crammed into this room is how you stayed warm. And in the bottom main living area, it's where you had your kitchen. It's where you had your dining table. It's, it's where the family lived. And at night, at night, families would bring into their first floor, into their living quarters, they would bring in all of the animals they owned for two reasons. Number one, to protect them from being stolen or eaten, but also to insulate the house, to make it warmer. But Jesus' birthplace... There wasn't any guest room. This is a family of very, very minimal means. I can't wait to meet this family someday. We don't even know their names. But they had a small living quarters where the animals slept, where they slept, where everything they owned belonged, 
and they welcomed in Mary and Joseph. And it was in that environment, not in some bougie hospital, not with some doula, is that what they're called? Like some like midwife or Jesus was not born in a hot tub, okay? Like he's not in that situation. He's born and then he lays his head in the animal's feeding trough. Some of you, some of you have had a really rough start to life. Some of you think about the challenges and struggles that your family or that you have faced and they feel so great. Maybe you look around at other people and you go, man, it feels like they have it better. It feels like my life is just hard. I need you to hear me. I need you to lean in for a second. Jesus understands that. Mary and Joseph understand that. The God of all kingdoms the God who it said in Psalms that, a, that the cattle on a thousand hills all belong to him. The God who created the stars and the galaxy. The God who is all powerful was born in a single room, small, poor house, laid his head in an animal's feeding trough. He gets what it's like to suffer. He understands what it's like to feel like you don't have what everybody else has. Which is why I want us to all say something together. It's something I've been mulling over for a while. Can we go to the next slide? I want to acknowledge that for all of us, we all have hurt, we all have pain. That there's things in our past that hurt us. And it's okay to say, my past hurt me. But I felt convicted as I was writing this message to remind us that we have a choice about whether our past will rule us or not. That we have a decision to make. And in fact, you and I as followers of Jesus, we can make a decision that it will be God's grace that rules us. That it will be God's grace that fuels us. Not just, not our past. And we do it all for the glory of God. And so I want us to read this together out loud on the count of three. One, two, three. My past has hurt me, but it will not rule me. God's grace will fuel me all for the glory of God. I want us to read it again louder with each other on the count of three. One, two, three. My past has hurt me. It will not rule me. God's grace will fuel me all for the glory of God. Some of you need this tonight. Some of you, your past has hurt you for far too long and it's started to rule you. In Christ, apart from Christ, your past will rule you. Your past will fuel you. It will be the story of your life. The beauty of the gospel of a relationship with Jesus is because he was born in such difficult circumstances and was able to fulfill his purpose as God dying on a cross and rising from the dead, you and I can have hope that God's grace could actually fuel you and I to not be controlled by our past. We can acknowledge the hurt that we've experienced, but we can actually be fueled by God's grace to be all that he wants us to be for his glory. 
Maybe for some of you, you need to say this every night as you go to bed. Maybe for some of you, your circumstances are not changing and it's just hard right now. Jesus gets that. But you, you know what you can do? You can control how you're going to respond to the difficult things in your life. Many of them you can't change and you'll learn this the hard way in life. You cannot change other people. Try as you might. You might have tried to change your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Maybe you started dating and you're like, man, they don't love God, but I know after we start dating, they're gonna love God and then they don't love God. You're gonna try a lot of times to control people in your life and you're gonna find out the hard way. You can't control other people, but you can always control yourself. And it's okay to acknowledge that your past, that there's hurt in your past, that when your parents got divorced, when that friend betrayed you, that those sins that you've committed and the ones that have been committed against you, that they hurt. And some of you go to bed at night and it's not peaceful in your home. And I'm so sorry for that. And I'm so grateful for a Jesus, for a God who gets it. But I wanna challenge you to not let your past rule you, but to choose to ask and allow God's grace his love for you, his forgiveness, his power, his resilience, his perseverance, his hope to fuel and change the way you live. The story continues, part two. It gets messier. There were some dirty shepherds and some loud angels involved. Let's continue the story in verse eight. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David has been born to you a savior. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find him wrapped in claws. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace on those whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Here's the mess of this section. Let's go to the mess of the shepherds. Let's go back, sorry, to the very beginning. The mess uh, back, all the way back to the shepherds. There we go. Here's the mess. Shepherds had no cultural influence and were unlikely to be listened to. Here's the the meaning. Jesus' birth is good news for everyone. And everyone has someone to share Jesus with. There's a commentary I love called the Preaching the Word Commentary. And this is what it says about shepherds. Shepherds were despised by the good, 
respectable people of that day. According to the Mishnah, which are recorded Jewish oral traditions, shepherds were under a ban. Like they were banned from society. They were regarded as thieves. The only people lower than shepherds at that particular time in Jewish history were lepers. Those with literally a skin disease. Their skin was falling off. The shepherds were so low culturally. And here's what's crazy. God chose to share with them this amazing message that to them, those were, that were at the bottom of the social ladder, that God was for them. This means for some of you, you're freshmen. I'm seeing some of my freshmen here. You're freshmen. And you feel like you're at the bottom of the totem pole. God's coming to you and saying, I want a real relationship with you not now. Not when you become a junior or senior. I want a real relationship with you now. Some of you are about to enter into college or into that next season. And you're feeling like, man, I really am at the lowest of the totem pole. You need to know God wants a relationship, a meaningful, significant relationship with you now. But here's what's so powerful about this section for me. The shepherds saw Jesus... And then they shared Jesus. Sharing was a natural response to seeing, which is why I have an important, two important questions for you. And it's this. What have you seen Jesus do in your life? Some of us need to become way more aware of how God is actually working in our lives. What have you seen Jesus do in your life? And then let me ask you this. When was the last time you spread the news about Jesus? Amen. You interact with people all the time. You interact with friends. You interact with people at school, in sports, at the grocery store. Charlie and I have started running every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning together. When we pass people, Charlie and I wave at people, and we're looking for an opportunity to actually tell one of these like high school kids that are going to Rancho High about Jesus. You're passing and interacting with people all the time. And for the shepherds, it was like they saw Jesus, and they couldn't help but spread the news about him. Do you feel that same urgency about Jesus? And why don't we? Have we forgotten that the God of the universe came to save you and I from ourselves, from our sin, from where brokenness leads us, that he loves us that much? Have we forgotten that? And you guys, with the last few days left that you have of school, and as you go to prepare to hang out with family and friends, what would it look like for you to spread the news tomorrow at school? But first, you got to answer the question, what have you seen Jesus do? And, and the last section, the last section is we're going to read about some seasoned saints. And here, here's the mess of this section. We're going to meet Simeon and Anna, and they were older and probably disregarded by their society. But here's the meaning. God uses people in every age and every stage to accomplish his purposes. Let's finish this section together in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. 
It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die, so he's older, before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents, Jesus' parents, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. Jump down to verse 36. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until the age of 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them. At that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Simeon and Anna, they are older and in their culture, they are an unprotected group that they don't have any more value in the Roman Empire. And so nobody would have listened to them, just like the shepherds. Nobody would have listened to them. And yet God is not done with them. And they don't even care that Simeon and Anna have made a choice. We are all about God. They're praising him. They're worshiping him into their old age. You see, they never graduated from a relationship with God, which I need to tell all of you. God's desire is not that you would just be close with him during high school years. You don't graduate from Jesus. You don't get to a place where all of a sudden you're too old or too smart or too experienced to follow Jesus. This is a lifetime adventure, a lifetime relationship that God is inviting you and I into. Now the thing is, there are certain things in life that it's important that you outgrow. We can throw that up on the slide. There, there are some, some things that it's important that you outgrow, that maybe you should even definitely outgrow. I want to show you a few of those real quick. Let's go to this first picture. This is a picture of me at five months. It's important that you outgrow sucking your fingers, okay? Like that's a good thing to outgrow. Here's another picture of me growing up. This is me and my older sister. I've literally outgrown this shirt in the photo. You know what I mean? You're going to outgrow some of your clothes. That's healthy. That's a good thing. Let's go to the next photo. Okay, this stage is straight embarrassing. This is me in full Power Ranger mode. Any of you into the Power Rangers? Who are my Power Ranger people? All right. This is me in full Power Ranger mode. But I don't know if you can see this. Do you all see what kind of boots I'm wearing? You better believe those are snake boots, okay? Those are snake boots. Here's the thing. You'll never see me showing up to HSM wearing that, okay? I'm outgrowing, I've outgrown that face. Let's go to the next photo real quick. We got another one. Oh, man, the bleach tips, all right? Anybody? Now, the next series of photos feature my hair, and it's because Pastor Claire really made fun of my hair a few weeks ago. I don't know if you remembered, but she straight up said publicly, Eric, you're balding, which was hard for me to deal with. So I have these photos to reminisce and remember, but the bleach tips, not so cool. This is me doing an ollie off of my house growing up. I'm glad I outgrew that. In fact, if I tried to do that now, I'd be quadriplegic. Like, there's just no hope for me with that. Let's go to another photo. I think there's another one. Oh, this is me and my sister Elizabeth. Y'all see that hair? You know what I mean? I mean, that's like Fabio, beautiful, Herculean hair right there. 
but I've outgrown that like wild hippie hair phase. This is me on my 21st birthday. You guys, that's too many buttons undone. You know what I mean? I'm just confessing. I'm confessing to you that's too many buttons undone. You gotta button that up. Thankfully, thankfully I've outgrown that phase. I don't know if we have an, oh, this is my favorite photo. Okay, here's the thing. Y'all, this is recent and I'm not ready to outgrow this phase, okay? I love the mustache. I think it's really cool. I love a good red, white, and blue tank top with palm branch shorts. I think it works. But everyone in my life has told me it's probably important for me to outgrow that phase. But here's the thing, students. You never outgrow, or you should never outgrow, a relationship with Jesus. Don't outgrow a relationship with Jesus. It only gets better if you put in the work. HSM should be your launching years, not your final years. And I want to end with this. There's a, a seasoned saint in our church. Her name is Mary Ellen. She's 90 years old. She's been at Purpose Church for 85 years. Think about how many senior pastors, youth pastors, people she has seen come and go. And I asked her, I said, Mary, you love Jesus so much. You're 90 years old. Tell me about that. And this is what she said. What a privilege it is to tell young people about my walk with God. He has brought me through so many humps and bumps. What a cute phrase, right? So many humps and bumps in my road of life that I am losing count. He is always there when I want to talk to him if I'm feeling down. And he lets me find passages in the Bible that bring me right back up again. Sunday school, junior high, and high school ministries were really fun for me. I was lucky enough to be able to go to summer and winter camps at Thousand Pines each year where I learned more about my Lord and have fun as well. My Lord is always with me and I'm so thankful for him. My 90 years on this earth would mean nothing to me if I had not been, if he had not been with me right by my side. I hope all of you listening to Pastor Eric right now, which I love that, I feel like she's waving her finger like, listen to your pastor, you know what I mean? I hope all of you listening to Pastor Eric right now will find and hold on to the Lord, your God, and talk to him because he will always hear you. Maybe what you pray for won't happen right away, but just hang in there. He has a time frame of his own, and we have to understand that he has the perfect time for things to happen. His amazing grace will be with you and me always. This 90-year-old woman has lost her husband, her health is struggling. She's experienced so much pain, so many challenges. And yet, here she is, 90 years young, worshiping and celebrating Jesus. Students, you'll never graduate from your faith unless you choose to drop out. And that's not God's desire because God is not done with you yet. God is not done with you yet. Would you close your eyes? Hear these words. God is not done with you yet. You are just beginning. All the fears and insecurities and feelings. Maybe some of you have even questioned whether your life is worth living. God is not done with you yet. I think some of you tonight are ready to begin a relationship with Jesus. And if that's you, I want you to tell your life group leader tonight. I want you to have a conversation with them. 
as you've realized, man, Jesus came into a really messy situation and my life's messy. And so all of a sudden, I believe that he could do something with my life. You're absolutely right, he can. If you'll hand it over to him and trust him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your messy Christmas story that through an awkward trip, through the dirty shepherds and the loud angels and through seasoned saints, you remind us that you bring meaning out of the mess of our lives. And so God, help each one of us to trust you tonight and help us to be open in our life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.